Yeah, which is very yeah he's cool. still alive. Very cool, you know. But uh, I, I, I honestly didn't think he was still with us. That was, that's uh, drinks a lot of red wine. Yeah, well, that's yeah, that's right. It's good for you. It's good for you. Anyways, like I said, there's a list. Uh, this, there's a list. This is a weird list. I have to tell you, this is just one of the odder lists we've ever had. The, the, uh, this would be a great night to do the, you know, the the uh, sixty second hit items. Well, a lot of them I don't think are going to be real long, anyways, unless they trigger other kinds of conversation. But this one of them had the potential to be long, but I don't think the I don't think the skydive lasted that long. <laughs> yeah, the uh, basically this was just a really weird week in general in aviation. <laughs> it was just a it lot of weird, general. a lot of weird things happened in aviation in this past week. All right, beginning with all right, this is a follow up. This is a. Uh, a a callback on the um, the uh, I should have prepared myself to know how to describe this. <laughs> well, uh, this this is what good news organizations like us do. What's that? When there's, right. when there's a development in a story we've previously covered, we update the listeners, the readers, uh, the viewers. Okay? Usually, not usually, but this well, time we will. If it's in our favor, sure. Yeah, that's um, right. Exactly. So, we try to is, rise <laughs> to the occasion. So this is the this like is the this. story of I don't know last week, the week before, or whatever recently, where the uh, the skydivers. The, they did the tandem skydive where tandem took on a whole new meaning, right? Finger quotes, all right? They, uh, they uh, d- did the deed during the uh, free yeah, fall were, or They whatever. were doing the dirty in the airplane and then continued in free fall. Right. And okay, for all right. we know, all the way through, you know, uh, um, stop, drop, and roll. And there were um, those who <laughs> stop, drop, and roll. <laughs> I'd put that on the list for titles. So there were people at the time who were all in an uproar and said, my gosh, there must be a law. The FAA needs to get on this and bust the skydivers or the pilots or the jump school. I don't remember anybody but the FAA saying anything. I don't remember anybody but the FAA being being all hot and bothered about this either. Now it turns out, though, it turns out the FAA finally, maybe they were the ones who were upset, but in any event, they have come to their senses, I guess. And have basically said, uh, "Nope, nobody broke any laws here." <laughs> this is n- after after an extensive replay of the video evidence. Yes, see, see, I, and a I, frame by frame matchup with the uh, FARs and a check of the uh, ingredient active ingredient list and a number of men and en- male enhancement products. They concluded that there was that, that it wouldn't stand up. <laughs> right. 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 No, they, they, okay. they, they couldn't they couldn't penetrate the defense of of uh, actually you know not having broken any fars, <laughs> so to speak. I, I, yeah. I think the I think the I think the jump the the uh, the instructor ought to get his job back because the, apparently the business owner still hasn't found it in his heart <clears throat> to do anything Fine. about the receptionist who Fine. was half of this. Uh, well, uh, I, 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 said long, I said long ago that the only the only rational explanation for the FAA's involvement in this was they wanted an original uh, copy out of the video camera. <laughs> yeah, that's that, they, as evidence. That's all they want. Just evidence. That's all. It's just well, you know, they have to determine if a crime's or you know a regulation's been broken. But um, it would certainly behoove them, of course, to retain that video in their records. Should should you know a question like this ever arise again, so to speak? Well, it could be useful in in workshops and safety seminars, and uh, you know, it, it's sundry the, the other lunchroom, opportunities. The lunchroom, um, uh, just you know, distribute it, you know, to everybody's iPhone. 
<laughs> yeah, and, right. and if they ever, if they ever, you know, really start wondering why they're working for the FAA in that in this capacity, they could pull up that video and that will remind them that that you know, f- freedom doesn't come free, folks. Freedom. I like that. Freedom doesn't come free. Okay, that's good. But it can come in free fall. <laughs> Welcome, folks, to episode. Oh my, uh, episode what two sixty one of uh, Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. That, that was Higdon. H i g d o n. background noise throughout the day but it's just airplanes so it's not it's, it's not really no good background noise That's yeah right. this is this is the best seat in the house That's right. we got skywriters now we got skywriters we got skywriters now, skywriters now. They, 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 does that say UCAP? I can't. it's got a runway in the front yard <laughs> <laughs> and you're on site clear land turkey central ground good afternoon sir taxi via foxtrot and delta we're recording this episode on uh, Friday afternoon, November fourth, twenty eleven, and uh, joining here in the joining me here in the virtual hangar are two of my good friends. Uh, uh, I don't even know. I have no other description for them than that. Uh, Dave Higdon's out there talking to us That's from me. Wichita, Kansas. Hey, David, how are you doing tonight? Doing wonderful, just lovely. So, have you? I don't even know where to go with this. Uh, <laughs> You mentioned earlier that it's been really nice there. It's like sixty-five degrees today, or something. Yeah, like yeah. It's 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 a bright and sunny day. We had a little overcast. Uh, they had some snow in western Kansas a couple of evenings ago, and we got flurries late that night. But the ground was way too warm for anything to stick. Uh, although I do understand that uh, someone from the FAA is investigating what caused the white fallout when it was still warm enough to be wearing shorts at the golf course. Yeah. Well, since we last talked, we had sort of a mini blizzard here in New England. Uh, like three million people lost their power, including me. Look out! That's point not is. a mini, dude. That's not a mini. Well, snow here in southern New Hampshire, snow depth wise, it was mini. All right, the storm when, was never really very severe. Um, when, but, when, when it impacts that many, it's not a mini. Yeah, and so uh, um, I lost my power here for about thirty-six hours. Um, and uh, I know a lot number of people in the area who lost it for longer than that, and and people in other parts of New England. Um, they're, they're, I hear stories about people who still haven't got their power back. It's like a week later. So oh, it affected uh, it affected airports and 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 runways and air traffic uh, all up and down the uh, upper you know what thirty percent of the U.S. Northeast thirty percent of the right, U.S. Right. But it was 65, 65 there, and you had a little bit of snow. I had some snow, but it's going to be like in the low sixties um, over the weekend and next week. And uh, another friend of mine who's here in the virtual hangar is Jeb Burnside, who uh, is talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. And what were you saying about sixty-five and sixty degrees? I, I I'm just shocked that you even went into weather uh, um, at this stage. You were talking about sixty and sixty-five, and you know all that kind of. Um, that's my pool water is warmer than that. Yeah. Thank you very much for saying that. That's well, only I'm just, because you put a solar heater on it. Put it in perspective I, for us. I'm just I'm just saying that you know, um, <laughs> you, you you might want to think about some of, some of this at some point. Yeah, I believe me, I think about it daily. Take my word for it. <laughs> think about it daily. Uh, what's going on, Jeb? How are you doing? I'm fine. I I, I maybe we can put this out to our audience and, and ask them the question. I, first of all, we all agree that the new, ver- new version of Skype sucks. 
Yep. My question is, how can I increase um, the buffer on Skype and or um, VoIP generally so that I don't get some dropouts occasionally? Right, right. And I, 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 don't know how, I don't know how to do that. On, now, on now you hear it. So this right. is a Windows XP Pro machine with all the updates, and uh, this is Skype with all the updates, and right. I can't figure out how to do that. Yeah. Now, listeners don't notice this as much as you and I notice it. Um, although I, every now and then, you go silent for about a second to a second and a half. Um, and, and interestingly, when your voice comes back, you pick up exactly where you left off, like mid-word, okay? You yeah. pick up exactly yeah. where you left off. And listeners don't notice this because I edit lots of those out, so they kind of just... It, you know, just almost it, it, oddly it, or ironically, it's almost like you have a weird, you have a, a a really limited stutter. Yeah, and I and I take the silence out, so it sounds like a clear stutter, um, but it's better than the silence. And every now and then, <laughs> every now and then, I leave them in um, the silence in, just so that people can get a. Maybe I should. Cool. Maybe I should start. Maybe maybe I should start listening to the podcast. Yeah. No. Why start now? Um, <laughs> It's I'm not highly quite hopeful. as bad as Max Headroom. I don't think it's. I, I I'm not real happy with the new Skype, but I don't think it's so much Skype that's causing the problem as it's your internet connection. Because this started the the very first episode after you moved to your new house. Really, uh, and I think that it's a it's a func- it's a it's a uh, an artifact of the your your internet connection there. Yeah, uh, which that. we've talked about. We won't bother listeners anymore yeah, with that. Okay. But yeah, l- listeners who know things about Skype or alternatives to Skype um, or ways of tuning Skype, uh, we're all ears. Let us know about these things. We want to learn more. Um, uh, I'll, I, I'll be surprised if there are more things we can do because we've done a lot, but enough said. And I'm Jack Hodgson, and I'm talking to you from high atop Lookout Point in, uh, it's going to be 60 degrees in a couple of days, Nottingham, New Hampshire, um, where the power's back, but... Uh, I'm not even going to go into my rant. Anybody who's been following me on Twitter knows that I went on a little rant over the well earlier in the week, just after my power came back, about uh, about how, how disappointed I was in the electric company and am in general about electric companies these days and how easily well, the power goes I'll, out. I'll tell you what, dude. When when grids get hammered over a really large geographic area. Uh, when the hammering ties up roads to the point where things are not easily movable for a, a good day while roads get cleared, uh, you know, there's really not a whole heck of a lot that you, you're going to do to get around that. We had an ice storm here in Wichita uh, several years ago, uh, New Year's weekend. Uh, and man, I'll tell you what, uh, I'd never seen anything remotely close to the damage that this storm did in terms of breaking trees, breaking the power lines themselves, sometimes just ripping them off the poles. Sometimes the poles would break in big, long rows for, you know, blocks. Uh, But there were neighborhoods that they couldn't get power to for several weeks because they were that long getting the roads and the the streets cleared to get into them. Yeah. No, I know. And I've heard these stories. My point here, my point in my rant, and we really are going to talk about airplanes any second now, is that these storms are not the exception anymore. This is the new normal. All right. This is the climate change. We are going to get one or two of these big nasty storms every year and the electric company needs to harden the system so it doesn't break down it needs to be able to survive these normal storms i understand they're bigger i understand it's going to take some time but they're like keep acting like oh act of god you know it's no big deal it's not our fault that you're out for a week well it is they need to fix it 
That's my rant. Rant over. We'll uh, take this. We'll take this one offline. We'll after take this. this one offline. Um, spherical sw- flying machine. This is a cool gadget. This is like even cooler than my quadcopter. Oh, much. This is very, very cool. This is a. Uh, I'm currently. I've seen this in a couple of different venues. There have been stories about this, and now I'm looking at a YouTube video, David, that you posted for us. Um, the headline is "Spherical Flying Machine Developed by J- Japan Ministry of Defense." Um, it's literally a sphere. It's sort of a, a, a structural sphere. It's not. It's open um, structure, and in the in the middle of it is a pro- a propeller blade, a la a helicopter kind of rotor. Um, and then, and then on the bottom third of the sphere is all of the, you know, electronics and motors and weights and batteries and whatnot. And, and this thing flies through radio control. Um, and it flies really cool. It's kind of nicely stable and, uh, uh, it, 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 it seems to be shielded well for when it bumps into things and it even can go down on the ground and, and, uh, uh, get on the ground and roll around on the ground in order to either recover or actually get someplace. It's kind of a cool. Yeah. Thing. It, 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 did you see today's, uh, EAA, um, their e-newsletter? No, I didn't. What was there? Okay, the lead item on it is multi-copter flies with 16 electric motors. And if you look at the photograph, go to eaa.org. It's on the it's on the home page. This guy built a 16-motor helicopter around an exercise ball, put a chair on it, and he's flying it. Oh, I, all right. This one's a different case altogether. But okay, different case altogether. But I looked at 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 the the little round machine in the Japanese video and scale it up to the size of something like this and say, you just need a bigger exercise ball. Yeah, right. No, no, the the, the one on the EAA homepage I'm looking at now, I, it may even be on the list someplace, I'm not sure, because listeners sent me this one. Um, this one is actually kind of scary. I, I don't know why, it just frightens me, because you've got all these <laughs> unshielded blades. There's, like you said, 16 blades. It's a, what would 16 be? A quadra quadricopter or something like that, right? And, uh, and then you strap quadro your square. That's what I mean. Quad quadro quadro, quadro squared copter. Yes. Yeah, right. Yeah, oh, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> it's just it's just a jump to the left. Yeah, uh, and uh, and so the seat is mounted above, sort of on top of the structure in the center, above this ball, which I can't quite figure out the ball. I didn't realize until it's I saw an him. exercise ball. It's right, a, it's a, an exercise ball. Yeah, this this guy couldn't afford the 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 balloons or the lawn chair. He, he's got the lawn chair part down. Yeah, but he couldn't afford the balloons like the guy did twenty years ago. But he actually sits on this thing and uh, uh, straps himself in, and ironically, he controls it. So the first part of the video I saw, I didn't, I'm not watching this video, but uh, was uh, they flew it remote control. And uh, and it flies remote control as you would expect. Um, and then he straps himself into the seat in the middle of it and uses and the he same still remote flies by remote control. Yeah, he flies by remote control while sitting on the seat. Um, but uh, if the seat were mounted underneath, so that all of these blades were above him, I'd feel more comfortable with it. Plus, it would feel more, it would look more stable. It looks very unstable, and. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, yeah. I, I, wherever it was, I, maybe it was in the forums, because I remember replying to someone about this, and my comment at the time was, if the seat were underneath, I'd consider flying this gadget, the 16 thing. Um, but well, that, that, that would add a pendulum effect to it that would stabilize it in some circumstances and destabilize it in others. Yeah, but it's totally destabilized now with the, with the weight on top. It's That's totally- a helicopter, dude. 
Yeah, I know. Well, yeah, okay. That's my point. So There's the, nothing inherently <laughs> stable about helicopters. Yeah, no, I, I understand that. But and the, I know I'm going to hear about it. They have to beat the air into submission, and then you have to fight for control. I mean, anything where they describe the flight instruction process to you as learning to balance yourself on a beach ball, there's a lot of instability there. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but going back to the spherical one, I like the spherical one. I mean, it's smaller. It's a very different kind of device, but you could be scaled up, I would imagine. And uh, I think the spherical one is very cool. I, I like that. I, I want, if I could buy one of these... Uh, ironically, I'm going back to Las Vegas in a couple of days where a year ago, or was it a year ago or two years ago? It must have been a year ago, I bought my quadrocopter. And I had this fantasy that I'm going to walk into that same Bridgestone, and Brookstone, and, uh, and uh, uh, see one of these spherical ones and buy that and, and ship it home. But uh, anyways, I don't know. Yeah, you you probably have the same fantasy. You're going to even see that quadrocopter again. Yeah, well, no, I will because I'm going to come and visit you. My quadrocopter, folks, is still in in uh, at uh, Hidden River. It's, uh, it's that that little spherical ball flying machine, man. If you could scale that up to yeah. carry somebody, uh, that was that was slick. Yeah, that was very that, cool. As, as 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 the exercise ball quadra quadrocopter. Would that be quadra squared copter? That's what we were talking about a minute ago, David. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah, don't sign me up for that one. Right. right. Not yet. No, no. So, uh, so that's a couple of, uh, of, uh, of uh, copters of some sorts here. Let's see. So those are kind of oddball stories. Let's see. What's next here? Oh, you know, so I put, posted this story, this picture about the uh, – so it's the, apparently it's the 125th an- uh, birthday of the Statue of Liberty. And uh, – and in in recognition of this, someone posted a, a reprint of the cover of Harper's Weekly from October ninth, nineteen o nine, which would be you know in the early days, I guess, of the uh, of the Statue of Liberty. The reason I posted this picture, as as nice as it is that the Statue of Liberty is is uh, you know going through this anniversary, the thing I like about the picture is that it shows a picture of uh, I believe it's Wilbur Wright. According to the caption, it's Wilbur Wright flying one of the Wright flyers right past the Statue of Liberty back in 1909, which is a very cool picture. You know, it's I don't know. Some, I don't know. Sometimes I forget that there was photography yeah. at the time of these earliest flights, and that there really are pictures. Uh, oh yeah, and the fact that they got this one stop action too is pretty good because exposure times still weren't exactly what you could call a blink of an eye. Yeah. Uh, although we were getting better. Yeah, I have to admit though that when I saw this picture of Wilbur Wright and the nineteen oh what are probably the nineteen oh eight or whatever these Wright flyers flying past the Statue of Liberty, my first thought was, oh man, he's going to be in so much trouble with the TSA. <laughs> You're not supposed to do that. And then I thought, oh yeah, right, well, that's different. My first thought is, sign me up for that. For what? For that tour. I want to fly that airplane around that statue with I, that altitude oh. and distance. <clears throat> Absolutely, yeah, sure. I, I'm waiting for someone to build a good replica of of the, that era. You know, we had the the folks. Oh, it's it, yeah. That's it, there's there's work being done on. Yeah, on I've that. heard, I've heard, and I don't know if anybody's been really successful at it yet. But uh, of course, we had you know back in the back in '03, we had the folks that uh, tried to uh, rebuild the original, you know, the fir- the first Wright flyer, and uh, and and did not succeed in getting it to fly uh, well. Even well enough to recreate the original flights, um, but the you know the 1908 and onward flyers were, were, as I understand it, were a little bit more reliable flying machines, 
and it would seem to me that we should be able to recreate them with slight upgrades to the technology to make it even more you know reliable I think it would be really cool to see one of these things fly, do flybys at Oshkosh or Sun oh, yeah. or, you know. Well, they'd have to really slow things down to do flybys at Oshkosh. Yeah, well, but that's, well, you know, we have ultralights. They could fly in, fly in and out of the ultralight field. That'd be that's great. True. That's true. That'd be great. But it, this flight started and ended on Governor's Landing. I mean, Governor's Island. He started there. He landed there uh, and reached 50 miles an hour. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. But that was 1909. There were already trains going that fast, I think, right? Oh, yeah, easy. Yeah. And so. cars were going that fast. Yeah. Wait a minute, yeah, car- just not, not very often and not very far. Yeah. So, cool picture. And uh, uh, we'll, we'll see if we can get Jeff to put a link to this photo in the show notes. And maybe I'll put it in the blog or something like that. But uh, um, I just thought it was a neat bit of history to actually see a picture of Wilbur Wright flying. Oh, past a- absolutely! And you know they they stayed underground. They got such negative feedback after they announced that they'd flown. You know, uh, in December of nineteen oh three, they got such negative feedback over that, and 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 people, oh no, you didn't. Uh, yeah, that's that's you photoshopped that photo. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, yeah. they were just they, not the guys that were supposed to be doing that. You know, the well, the, the, the airplane, the airplane got wrecked on the final, right at the end of the final flight. Wind caught it after they landed, blew it over, basically destroyed the original 1903 flyer. Uh, and they went back to work to build a better one, and they refined it and refined it and refined it. Couldn't get any attention here. Finally, went and started doing demonstrations in Europe. Where one of the reasons why there's such heroes in France is that people in France were more easily convinced than the people here in the United States. Yeah, well, it's because what's his name was the head of the Smithsonian, and uh, they tried to yeah, Langley, yeah, uh, Alexander Graham Bell, and Grosvenor, and Langley. Yeah, and, and and you know the the buzz was that they were trying to uh, do them out of the patent, and because Langley was the guy who was supposed to do flight first, not these bicycle mechanics from Ohio, you know, and so. It got ugly for a while. Eventually, they were they were recognized. So, uh, cool picture. We'll put it someplace on the website. Uh, take a look. Uh, Off field landing of the week. Uh, this one is a, a, a cool, a very very uh, impressive off field landing of the week, um, but a little bit of a somber kind of bittersweet thing, um, because the, uh, the the reason for the landing was that the pilot apparently suffered a heart attack while in flight. And, uh, and and I haven't heard any accounts from the pilot, but it, it seems that he realized he wasn't going to make it to an airport, so he decided to set his little, ult- I guess it was an ultralight. That none of the stories I've read talk about exactly what kind of airplane it was. Um, they refer to it as an experimental aircraft. Um, yeah, that covers, you know, it could be anywhere from a two-seat ultralight type to a Lancer. Yeah. I'm, I'm I reading from really the, tell us anything. Reading from the Chicago, the website of the Chicago edition of the Huffington Post, um, Illinois man landed plane while suffering a heart attack. So uh, um, Stephen Nussbaum uh, was flying an aircraft ne- near Hebron, Illinois, um, and uh, uh, his son was apparently on the ground somehow observing this and realized that his dad landed the airplane not on an airport, so he raced to the airplane found the airplane landed successfully undamaged but his dad was unconscious in the aircraft 
after having suffered a heart attack. The emergency folks came um, and, uh, and, and did uh, a lot of things on him to, to uh, help him survive. And last I heard, he has survived. Is that your understanding as well? Yeah, that's uh, the last word. And I'm just looking at some updated stuff here. Uh, as of the day after... Uh, he was still doing well. Critical but stable condition. And his son apparently saw the landing. Oh, actually saw the landing. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, his son was at the airport and saw him go down short of the airport. Uh, and was like on his way over there by the time he rolled out. Yeah. So, Well, I think, I think this was actually something of a test flight. Uh, Nussbaum is is uh, listed anyway as designer and president of something called American Home Builds Corporation, and my impression is that this was kind of like a test flight or or uh, you know practice or something like that sort. That's why his son was watching, or one of the reasons anyway. His son was watching, uh, okay. and yes, did, he did see did in fact see the uh, a landing or, or you know knew that his, that somehow the pilot father was in in distress. Yeah, so. Uh Congratulations to uh, Stephen Nussbaum for uh, successfully getting his airplane on the ground um, in an unusual circumstance, and, and we wish him the very best and good luck in his recovery. Um, it's, uh, and congrat- congratulations. We know you didn't exactly walk away, but it counts. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Good right. stuff. Good stuff. Um, so, David, you think that the uh, – what is it you wrote here? You said uh, – uh, the GA business should be getting a whole lot busier very soon. Why do you say that? Well, you know, this has kind of been the ugly little uh, underground discussion in GA for the last three or four years and longer in a broader sense. I mean, uh, Cirrus has been owned by outside the U.S. interest for several years, still is, now China. Uh Lance Air was owned by outside U.S. interest for a while before Cessna bought it. Uh, Piper is owned by outside the U.S. interest. Uh, now China owns Lance Air. And as of 2011, that's this year, advancing general aviation in China is an official bullet point in their five-year plan. And they do a five-year plan every five years based on how well they did on the last one. This one calls for developing a GA manufacturing industry, building, I think the number I read was 500 general aviation airports a year for the next five years to start to bring air access to some of the more remote parts of China and connect some of the more far-flung places that have roads to them but are still a long way from everywhere because the roads have to go over mountains and around valleys and down rivers and uh they're serious and russia which uh had a little start on this back after the end of the soviet union but then it kind of got hemmed in by the military controlling the airspace like in china uh but now russia's president uh, medvedev is calling for a, a real focus on developing light aviation in Russia. So you got two of the world's largest countries that to date have not been significant players in GA turning their focus to developing 
general aviation in our country, developing manufacturing, expanding the use of private airplanes, expanding their airports and their infrastructure to support it. That includes FBO businesses and fuel supplies, navigation aids. All of that's in on this. China's already opening up its airspace and has a plan on track to expand access to its airspace and to reduce the time that you need to file a flight plan in advance of using the airspace, which is an issue. I mean, we don't think about that here because we can actually file after we take off. Uh, that's not legal in everywhere. Uh, In China right now, you have to give advance notice. To do international out of the U.S., you basically need to give 24-hour notice to most places, Mexico, the Caribbean nations. I think you can do it less. I think you can do it in just a a couple of hours with Canada. Anyway, the bottom line here is that you have the world's largest civilization, China, and one of the largest physical countries on the face of the earth. Uh, and another one of the largest physical countries on the face of the earth, Russia, but with a much smaller population base than China. And like India has in the last decade, uh, these two countries suddenly recognizing what they've ignored, what they've missed, what's made business and aviation so successful in the U.S. is a vibrant, deep and wide general aviation community. If they take that on, there's going to be a lot of market for a lot of airplanes and a lot of pilots and a lot of instructors. Uh, there already is. Uh, half a dozen friends of mine from here in Wichita and around the country are currently either working as mechanics or pilots outside the U.S., uh, Africa, Middle East, India, where the money is ridiculous. Uh, the lifestyles are a little bit different. Uh, the tax obligations minimal, uh, and the opportunity to spend six months or a year and make three or four times what they would here in the U.S. Just undeniable. Uh, one young friend of mine, he's a uh, ATP uh, commercial instrument, uh, multi-engine sea and land plane. CFI, CFII, uh, right now he's flying in a part of Africa where uh, he makes in a quarter what most pilots here make in a year. And he's doing two, three-month rotations and then coming out for six months hmm. yeah. because he values his potential to survive and enjoy the money he's making. Right. He's flying in a part of Africa where... Much of the challenge of flying is less to do with aviation and more to do with exposure. You can become a target. Yeah, right. Go- going back to China for a second. Um, yeah. So, so are, two questions. Are they planning to design original aircraft, or are they going to manufacture designs that they've bought from around the world? Because I, they're obviously buying up a lot of intellectual property in this regard. I think the answer is all of the above. Uh, they've, they've bought Continental Motors. Okay, uh, you you may have been so focused on the Cirrus thing that you didn't notice that the same company owns the company that makes Continental engines. Uh, they own Cirrus. It's not the same uh, company, I don't think. I'm sorry. I don't think it's the same company. C I uh, C A I C. I don't think it's the same company that owns both Cirrus and Continental. 
Oh, okay. okay. But but Chinese I, companies have bought both of them. Ch- Chinese companies have bought both of them, but I don't believe it's the same company. Yeah, okay. Okay, I thought it was. Um, my mistake. Uh, nonetheless, they're, they're, the line is that they're working on a very solid horizontal integration platform. That is, an airframe engine, they need a prop, and then an avionics company. And they're shopping. Okay. And they're not just shopping here. And my second question was, um, are they talking at all about exporting any of these things? or? Uh, I don't think they're as concerned about export right now as they are about their domestic market. Yeah. I mean, and is, if you own some of the better airframe manufacturers uh, of the world already, uh, you, you don't have to focus on exporting to build up your market. They've got a domestic market that pretty much beats the other half of the world put together as a market. Right. right. Keep keep in mind uh, first that um, although Chinese companies own both Cirrus and Continental, um, their manufacturing facilities are unchanged. That's right. Here here in the U.S. That's true. Um, Now, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised to learn that manufacturing facilities are being established in China. So well, the, the, they the just question, the a question new company of, to do that. Well, that's what I'm saying. There's a difference between owning and fabricating and producing. Um, yeah. And I would, you know, would not be at all shocked to hear that uh, manufacturing facilities are under under construction, even as we speak in China, to to manufacture both the airframes and the engines. And, and not coincidentally, of course, the the Cirrus design fleet is powered by Continental engines. So, gee, how convenient is that? Um, oh yeah. But, yeah, but but you're right though. I mean, uh, there's still some uh, the propeller uh, dimension is missing. Although propellers are not that expensive, uh, um, nor are avionics all that expensive, especially uh, uh, if you can get you know quantity and, and install everything and, and make every aircraft <clears throat> uh, the same or as nearly the same as, as possible. So yeah, I wouldn't stress too much about the avionics propeller thing. But I I think. <laughs> Um, the concept of of um, this being um, uh, um, you know some revolutionary thing in, in, in either China or Russia is a bit um, um, premature. Uh, clearly, there's a need for some of this, but equally clear, um, labor's fairly cheap, and these are, and at least the airframes are a fairly labor intensive. Products to to uh, to produce. So um, there's a lot of synergies there. In Russia, um, I'd be really very surprised uh, if um, uh, there was much uh, much real progress on light GA in in Russia over the next handful of years. Uh, Certainly could come about, um, but Russia seems like it's just got so many other problems right now. That it's got to try to lick. Um, that that GA is 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 uh, uh, despite President Med- Medvedev's uh, statements, uh, probably I don't know. Maybe an afterthought. Maybe you know wishful thinking. You know certainly wish. You know certainly would hope it would come to pass. Um, China is just being pragmatic and and keep in mind. Oh, absolutely. Mind though too that these are two very authoritarian, two very authoritarian cultures. And uh, the concept of, of hopping in a Cirrus or even a Cub and just flitting off where you want to go whenever you want to go for no good reason whatsoever uh, is really still antithetical in those cultures. So I, I wouldn't get too uh, head over heels um, 
Um, they've got a long way to go to get to the point we are in the U.S., but in the bargain, you know, maybe we'll see some interesting designs. Maybe we'll see some some interesting alternatives to some of the products that we're we're uh, um, I won't say forced to buy, but some of the the, the limited uh, number of products and limited uh, um, design that we're seeing now. Yeah, yeah. Moving on. Um, so uh, last week. You guys, and I went back and listened because I wanted to make sure I remember this right. <laughs> Last week, you guys literally yawned, all right, when I talked about the story, when I, when I tried to get excited about the fact that an A380 had um, some troubles, uh, minor troubles, admittedly, all right, and had to do a unplanned <sighs> landing. So now, a week later, another A380 has had to divert and land out, not land out, but land at an alternate because of uh, engine troubles. Um, this time, uh, let's see, now I'm reading from uh, smh.com.au, the Sydney Her- Morning Herald uh, website. Uh, a Qantas A380 Super Jumbo carrying 258 passengers has diverted to Dubai with engine troubles one year to the day after... Uh, well, this is unrelated. But uh, so uh, this one, there's a little after more information. An, after an unrelated air incident. Well, no, it's after, after another Qantas incident. That, that's the, you know, Australia is all, all, you know, in the, you know, it's all. I'm uh, just reading the first graph of this. One yeah, year right. to the day after a major mid-air incident over Indonesia. Yeah, right. Uh, what? Yeah, that's not related. Um, yeah. The point here is that the 380 had to land uh, in uh, un- unscheduled in Dubai because apparently, let's see, you know, word, there was language here about what the nature of the. Uh, the last the last week, they didn't tell us what it was. They just said a technical problem or something like that. This time, it had something to do with engine or oil quantity or something like that. A problem with engine says, oil quantity. It says oil pressure. Well, maybe this one says oil pressure. Maybe I'm, maybe it was another story. This one had a couple of different stories about it. And uh, um, so, okay, two in two weeks. Uh, is this a trend yet? Is this a no? No, it's 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 a. It's There's something yarn. happening. There's something well, happening. Oh, we don't. Okay. I'm, turn, I'm, I'm turning Dave. Okay, good, good, good. All right, Jeb, you go first. All right, we don't know if these are related or not. The only thing that we know is that it happened to involve the same type of aircraft. We don't know if it involves the same engines. We don't know if it involves the same problem. It's it's not unreasonable. It's certainly not heard of, and it's not um, um, news. I don't know. I won't say it's not newsworthy. It's not a crisis situation that two different flights have made precautionary landings. Uh, um, I'm almost and, and, 100% and, and, and not, in wink, concurrence. Almost. Wink, 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 nod, nod. Uh, still haven't been any injuries yet. Yeah. Well, now, let's, let's, if, 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 let me finish. If there is some linkage between these two events, uh, where it's you know the same problem, or it's um, related to a similar problem, and it's the same engine and, and stuff like that, then you know we might have a trend here. But a sampling of two doesn't make you know a smoking gun anywhere. Um, I, I just you know I, I just really remain to be convinced. It's not like you know the early days of the comet uh, when they were falling out of the sky. No, um, I, of course. The, the, but yeah, so I mean. I, again, I can't get all all that worked up about it. How many 737s, you know, uh, had a problem? A 767 landed gear up in Warsaw. I mean, there's 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 got to be a lot more going on here before I start to start to wag my tongue about it. Okay, David, quickly, you said you agree with most of what up. he said, but not all. Not all, because both of these incidents are in uh, are, are because of engine problems. And the first one 
was it, it we, we didn't know it at the time, but the first one was an uncontained engine failure. Was it really? Uh, that's you know, what the you, story That's what the story that? says. Well, the story? I'm just reading. Yeah. You're, wait, you've, you found another story about the first one, the Emirates flight. It's in the, it's in the, uh, the story about the one with the oil pressure light. Uh, oh, it's a, they, they re-reference that story? Then a Sydney-bound Qantas Airbus A380 made an emergency landing in Singapore following a mid-air engine explosion. I don't think that's a 380. That, that's a reference to it. Airbus A380 made an engine. You're right. Thank you very much. I've been reading oh, for I a while. Rem- I remember that one. Okay, uh, well, there was, you go, that Jeff. The that's three. That's three. Were, that's, <laughs> no, not not going there. Not going there. Uh, <laughs> that, I remember that one. That was the one year ago where, where they they had two reserve captains or something like that on board, and uh, all five of them oh, that's worked right. ass, that was assholes and elbows. Got the thing back on the ground without any further ado, um, but uh, I, yeah, I remember that. That was a that was a, a big deal. But that was also an engine issue, um, not necessarily an airframe issue or anything like that. And it was a catastrophic failure. So what are you going to do? And, and we don't know which engine. Still. We don't know which engine on that. We can find out fairly readily, but I'm not going to go diving into to Australian. Right. That's we'll, we're going to leave this but for now. But Qantas, no, 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 no. Hang on a second. only going to buy them with one engine. Okay, yeah. Jeb, you finish up, and then we'll move but on. But again, still, there's. It was these are two most two recent incidences were, were precautionary landings. We don't know anything about why, and we don't know anything if the, about the, the two being related. Talk to me when we know why, and talk to me if when we know if they're related. You would you would never Jeb you would never last very long at like News of the World or you know National Enquirer. Or, or you just you're too responsible a journalist. Don't you realize that's not the way it works anymore? Thank you, Jack. I, that's one of the nicest things you've said to me. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, we uh, called everybody's attention to a cool piece of video of uh, of some uh, paragliders who were uh, flying with hawks and were encouraging the hawks to fly in formation and actually land on the outstretched arm of the uh, of the paraglider pilot and that was some cool video this week we've got a video that's sort of related but not related um this is a uh, um apparently just a regular old parachute guy russian parachutist uh who uh had literally had a mid-air with two eagle hawks of some sort um the first story this story talks about eagles but i heard, i saw another story that indicated they weren't eagles but in any event they were big birds that that flew right at him, and he's wearing a camera, so you actually see this on the video. All right, he's like you know under the canopy, and he's coming down, and suddenly you hear him hollering, um, and then you see these two birds coming right at him, and I don't know whether both of them made contact, but at least one of them made contact and got tangled in the risers and collapsed the chute, and and oh, this is all captured on video. All right, and uh, and then uh, he deploys his backup chute and kind of gets the other chute under control. And then manages to make a kind of scary landing in the trees. He actually comes down. Uh, I think that was a paraglider. That wasn't a skydiver. Is it a paraglider? All right, but in any event, it's under a, yeah. under a chute of some sort, and uh, under a canopy of some sort. And he uh, uh, and, and and now, of course, once he's under the a uh, backup chute, he's not a glider of anything. Now he's you know kind of. Yeah, he's a parachutist. Yeah, right. And uh, came down in some trees, and that part, that was actually the scariest part of the whole thing was to come down in the trees. You can look at the terrain. I know. Gee, Christmas. So, and 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 you eventually get to see that the that the bird, um, the big hawk eagle or whatever it is, is actually snared in the lines of the collapsed canopy, 
and uh, and goes all the way to the ground. And it it looked at first like the bird was incapacitated because it wasn't moving. And I thought, wow, you know, how did it manage to get itself killed just by hitting Man, the risers? That's a tight spot. Jesus. But, but once it got on the ground, um, once they all got finally down to the ground after crashing through some trees, and it was kind of weird, um, you saw for just a f- split second before the video ended, you saw the bird kind of hopping around on the ground. And uh, so uh, quite a video. D- David, you, you're apparently looking at it now for the first time. Yeah, this was sent to me, and I thought it was something else, and uh, this, I didn't this, pay much attention to the link. Uh, this could indeed be the first verified episode of a bird being tired and shagged out after a long squat. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that poor bird when he was on the ground, legs are going like, holy crap, what just happened? <laughs> it's like... Well, and the good news was the guy got on the ground safe and sound. The bird was on the ground safe and sound. And apparently the uh, the paraglider pilot managed to get the bird untangled and let it get away without it being uh, uh, hurt, damaged, yeah. uh, without breaking anything. Because look at that terrain. I know. I know. I'm not sure where this guy was going. If, if this is a paraglider, was he... Uh was he ridge soaring or something? Or I don't know. Was... Oh yeah, oh, ridge soaring, maybe even thermaling there. Yeah. Uh, and that's a fairly wind limited way to fly. So uh, I would bet that that was fairly early in the day when it's really smooth. Yeah, yeah. It's a really interesting video. It's uh, the uh, I'm not watching it right now because I don't dare load down my my internet connection. But uh, as I recall from watching it, um, it seems like the camera was mounted on the guy's helmet or something like that. Because every now and then you saw him. You, you nor, most of the time you have a view of the horizon and downward. But every now and then you see him looking at the canopy, and you saw the canopy kind of half collapsed, and and then suddenly you saw it completely collapsed. And and I never actually saw the reserve chute, but apparently he was under the reserve chute at some point. I want to see where he launched from. I mean, seriously, it takes a little. It takes precious little space to get a paraglider off the ground. Uh, really, doesn't take any more than it takes to get a hang glider off the ground. But I'm dying of curiosity what the launch site at that place looked like because that's some tough, tough terrain to want to soar over. Uh, I mean, boy, come down in the wrong spot there, and they'd be looking for you next year. Yeah, yeah. So. A little bit of uh, podcast business here. Uh, we're going to try something we've never done before, but we're, we want to, we're curious to give this a try. We're going to hold the first uh, UCAP listener survey. Uh, we have created a survey, a group of questions that we have put into a form on the Internet, and we would like for our listeners to uh, go to this page and to... Uh, uh, to answer the questions, uh, <laughs> and um, because we're kind of curious, go to the page, answer the question. Come, come on, question. Well, how hard can it be? Well, no, you know, a, a couple of people who have, who have previewed this for us have commented that it seemed a little long at first, and I guess it does look like, but it really doesn't. It takes like three or four minutes to go yeah, through this it's thing. It's quick, and, it's and quick. To cl- most of them are just click, you know, multiple choice, and a few of them are are you know kind of like give us you know four or five words, um, and then there's one place towards the end where you can just kind of freeform tell us whatever you want to tell us, um, but. Uh, um, keep it clean. Keep it clean. <laughs> no, what the heck? It's only going. Well, it's not going to be published. We can we can my take tinder, it. My tender ears might not 
you know, survive. Yeah, okay. That's is another title. Jeb's tender ears. Um, <laughs> so uh, uh, we are very curious, um, and uh, it's sort of a, a, as much as a, this is as much an experiment in survey taking as it is an experiment in learning what our listeners think. Uh, we kind of had this fantasy that we'll do this regularly, like maybe even quarterly, um, and just kind of to stay in touch with with what people think. Um, so if you could uh, uh, take a moment. Uh, we're going to leave this online for as much as a month even. Um, it's going to be there for a while, so there will be a chance. And we don't want people to do it once. Um, it, it, once you fill it out, there's no need to fill it out again. Um, although if you really want to help us out, you could encourage other listeners to fill it out. And we would even love to have it filled out by other pilots, whether they listen to our podcast or any podcasts. Um, we're just trying to kind of get a cross-section here and see what there is to learn. So uh, go to uncontrolledairspace.com slash survey, and uh, you will see the survey. And uh, um, take a few minutes and fill it out for us. We would, would really, really appreciate that. David, a new, uh, a new issue of uh, Callback is out. Anything in there that's interesting? I mean, it's always interesting, but anything in particular that, that caught your attention? Well, this one's kind of a, uh, a, a special issue dedicated to the memory of Dr. Charles Billings. Uh, Dr. Billings died uh, in August of 2010, but he's one of the founders of the Aviation Safety Reporting System Program and an early pioneer of human-centered cockpit automation which in my mind are almost like 180 degrees out on the spectrum uh, because ASRS is all focused on the human element and the cockpit automation is how to make you know machines work in place of the human element. Uh, but he was uh, instrumental in starting the, uh, the NASA program. He was a researcher at uh, Moffett Field in California. Uh, worked at Ames Research Center uh, and recognized that the interface between humans and automation and how humans react was uh, an important aspect to study and follow. And the, the whole idea helped get the ASRS program going and eventually the callback publication that monthly portrays for us some of the recent uh, reports, the voluntary reports of pilots and controllers and mechanics and dispatchers that are working the aviation business and fly GA. So uh, for anybody that's ever read Callback and it's, what, 32, 33 years of existence, uh, this might be a, a, an interesting little introduction to how it got to be what it is. Very cool. Jeb, anything you want to add to that? Not a thing. No. Thank you, Dave. Okay, now we're getting to the really weird stories, as if the eagle and the, the skydiving thing wasn't, wasn't weird enough. Um, so <laughs> there were reports over the last week that Air Force One, while landing at Las Vegas, uh, at uh, um, McCarran, <laughs> at, at Las Vegas, um, overflew some Occupy Las Vegas or whatever it is they call their the local Occupy you know demonstrations oh, there, um, and and while overflying them on final, um, I'm sure no one's claiming this is anything but coincidence. Um, the so-called blue ice from Air Force One 
broke off and fell among the crowd of Occupy Las Vegas demonstrators, okay? And, of course, this gets everybody in an uproar and investigation and da-da-da-da. And, um, for example, I'm looking at one particular story, which ironically is from the Canada Free Press. Um, <laughs> I don't know what that means exactly, but, uh, uh, you know, we'll just take it as, as representative of some it of the It means press. weird news has long legs. I guess so. A group of several dozen Occupy Las Vegas protesters camping on Clark County land located under the final approach to runway 19 at McCarran International Airport today narrowly missed being injured when a 50-pound slab of blue ice reportedly landed within feet of their tents. According to witnesses, the slab fell to earth seconds after Air Force One passed overhead while landing. And there's more. Um, so, of course, that's got everybody in all in an uproar. And, and I was kind of like taking it all with a grain of salt to begin with. All right. But then in the forums, and um, a listener, Landis, uh, posted in, in the forums, and I, I take this at face value. I haven't confirmed what Landis is telling us here. But according to Landis, um, the demonstrators were, in fact, under final for 1-9, but Air Force One landed on 2-5 that day, which, uh -huh. is, which is like a long ways away. There's, you know, and I've landed at McCarran any number of times on airliners, and it is almost inconceivable to me that in the process of landing on 2-5, Air Force One overflew the final of 1-9. No, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. So um, uh, th this is just, I think this is, as Jeb would say, a nothing burger. I think this is someone, this is just, you know, <laughs> urban I, legend I, in the making here. I, I, don't, I don't doubt they got some blue ice got dropped there but it wasn't from air force one yeah 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 that that runway gets used um um even even when two two five is sort of the normal you know uh, when winds allow runway it's the big pair of runways at at mccarran and uh but even when they're operating two five um they'll use this other runway which is sort of not quite 90 degrees but uh um they'll use it for for other kinds of operations and uh stuff so, that could land and stop short of the intersection yeah and there's hardly an intersection they, they they intersect in like each of these runways final you know tenth of its distance i mean they they almost don't intersect um well and 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 the hard evidence as it is had melted by the time somebody got there to collect it, yeah. it sounds to me like an a, an upcoming episode of CSI Las Vegas, the original. <laughs> there you go. Well, so, yeah. it's, it's, it starts to smell after a while, though, if you really pick this story apart. Thank you, Jeff. We really appreciate that. <laughs> um, so, I, David, I think it was you who were com or one of you guys earlier was commenting on how we follow up on the news, you know, and uh, um, and so this is a second follow up on. I'm we're really fascinated by this whole MythBusters duct tape be light. Um, aircraft thing, um, and just want to add another little tidbit. So, so uh, uh, the MythBusters guys uh, uh, recreated the duct tape airplane repair thing from Alaska, and then to go the the, the, duct, the MythBusters distance, they also took all of the covering off the airplane and uh, and replaced it completely with duct tape. And then, and then flew it, sort of flew it again after that. Um, we, we were wondering what airplane, airport it was. And last week, uh, a couple of listeners reported that it was New Jerusalem. Uh, and uh, since then, another listener's checked in, not only confirming that it was New Jerusalem, but, and this is the interesting part to me, um, saying that, telling us that New Jerusalem Airport actually has parallel runways, which I have seen in the satellite pictures. Apparently, only one of the runways at New Jerusalem is used for con traditional GA. The other is apparently a dedicated um, RC runway, remote control flying uh, run runway. 
and uh, and and this leads me back to my my thing. I'm still trying to understand what FAA. So in the MythBusters episode, the the MythBusters folks said we couldn't turn this into an RC aircraft even though technically we could have, but legally we couldn't because there were FAA regulations that prevented us from doing this. And I've been asking around to all my friends um, in the RC world and in the, in the GA world and saying, what's the regulation that keeps you from doing this? And, and assuming you stay below a certain altitude, no one can find uh, a regulation that stops this. There are This should be investigated by the guys who investigate coupling skydivers. Yeah, that's right. The FAA really should get into understand yeah, investigating what FAA regulation was. Uh, anyways, I really want to know this. Oh, and by the way, there is a development in trying to reach out to Kerry uh, Byron and company on uh, on uh, 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 whether or not they actually duct taped the control surfaces. And I won't elaborate on this because I, I want to wait and see how it turns out. But uh, it turns out a listener knows somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody that maybe will get us in touch. We'll see. We'll see how this goes. Well, we know they did the, the we know they did the rudder because that was shown on the video. Well, I, Jack, what we really Jack, what we really want to know here is will you be able to get an autographed photo of this woman? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, another interesting centennial uh, in the last uh, uh, few week or so. Once again, UCAP will not duct the issues. Um, apparently, air power turned 100 years old uh, in this past, I don't know, week or month or whatever. Uh, uh, let's see now. This is from the, uh, oh my goodness, the Council on Foreign Relations website, uh, uh, CFR.org, their blog. Um, and uh, let's see now. Before humans were capable of heavier-than-air powered flight, thinkers were already conceiving of ways that air power could be used in warfare. Two years before the Wright brothers conducted their first successful flights... H.G. Wells. Let's see. I'm going to start paraphrasing here. Um, basically, it sounds to me. Do you guys know this story better than me? I'm, I'm doing a bad job of this. My understanding of this story well, is that it's 100 the, years ago that they used airplanes to kill people. Yeah, it's 100 years ago this week that um, uh, the first instance of using the aircraft as an instrument of warfare occurred. Um, and this involved uh, the Italo, a war between uh, Turkey and, and Italy, the Italo Turkish War. Uh, a fall between well Italy and the the Ottoman Empire, um, and according to the story anyway, uh, the war was declared in September of 1911, and um, uh, subsequent events uh, involved uh, using an aircraft. Uh, the uh, aircraft uh, uh, supposedly is a Taub or Taub aircraft, T A U B E, uh, and uh, the pilot one uh, lieutenant. Uh, Giulio Gavadi um, dropped, uh, pulled the pins and, and dropped uh, grenades on the opposition, on the enemy. And that was the first uh, known, or first recorded anyway, episode event of uh, an aircraft being used as an instrument of war. How, my, 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 how far we've come. Yeah, I know. I know. I, uh... Now we don't even need a pilot. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, I have to, you know, I've never... So warbirds are a big thing in uh, you know in in GA uh, certainly in the Oshkosh Sun and Fun you know kind of uh, world and and I've always been fascinated by and admired and and on some level loved warbirds but I've never been comfortable with their military aspects it's kind of like it's a necessary thing and that's what we do but 
that's not why I think they're great airplanes. You know, I, I'm I'm fascinated. I, I, I agree with you. I mean, there was a there was a time and place for everything. And uh, certainly, these these aircraft fulfilled their you know the warbirds you're, you're speaking of fulfilled their uh, um, uh, destiny, fulfilled their role. Um, but I don't know that you know the glorification of that is is really you know what we need. Um, I don't know. Uh, I understand where you're coming from. Yeah, I think I I think I understand where you're coming from. Yeah, I mean that's basically it. Is that uh, you know a, a lot of the uh, the the sort of activities and, and, and stuff that goes on at, at things like Oshkosh and Sun and Fun has to do with 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 almost with glorifying the combat and the you know and, and, and I, I admire and respect and am grateful for the fact that these things happened and these folks did these things. But that's not what interests me in these warbirds. And right. quite frankly, I've always been really troubled by the notion you know, I love airplanes and I love flying, and the idea that a pilot would go out and try and kill another pilot is it kind of boggles my mind a little bit. I mean, I understand it, and that's the way it works, but I'm not naive. But but it's just, you know, it's it's wrong. There's something wrong. There's some. There's something wrong with with taking an activity that we all, certainly the three of us, and hopefully all of our listeners, you know, uh, enjoy engaging in as as a recreational thing, as a uh, uh, a professional thing, perhaps, as something to to distinguish ourselves from others in the population, and 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 everything in between. There, there's there's nothing wrong with that, and, and we take great pleasure from that. Um, yeah. But then to consider how to, considering using that skill and using that that machine uh, um, to try to kill people is is a little bit antithetical to to the ways you know we were all kind of brought into this. Yeah. You know, and, I can and I, I let me finish. I can certainly see, you know, a place and time when not only was this appropriate, but um, a lot of people, you know, lost their lives trying to make something happen here. And I, I, I'm fascinated. There's a couple of websites out there where um, um, that, that are devoted to certain squadrons and, and specifically bombing squadrons. Uh, of World War II and, and uh, American, you know, B-17 operations and, and things of this sort. And recently there have been a number of fairly detailed, well-written um, stories of people who were shot down over Germany, over France during World War II. And how they, you know, the, the hardships they endured. Um, there was one I was reading recently from, from the EAA website, actually, in the Warbird section, about someone who was... Um, um, uh, held prisoner in Germany at the same prisoner of war camp as was as as occurred the events that were summarized in the movie uh, The Great Escape. It was not the same people. Mm -hmm. uh, it was Americans versus British. Uh, the British were the ones that engineered the escapes. But uh, same time frame, same camp, same, you know, and all the hardships, you know, the, the, the waiting for a Red Cross package was, was a real deal. And I, and I certainly get the hardships and I certainly get the, the um, devotion. I'm grateful that we still have those stories. Uh, but I understand what, exactly what you're saying, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. David, I, go ahead. My late uncle uh, flew for the 8th Air Force uh, in World War II. Uh, was a guest of the uh, Third Reichs for about 20 months after his B-17 was shot up over Germany and he bailed out over France. Um, it, and he continued to fly. 
he was one of that small percentage of World War II aviators who truly loved to fly, and he continued to fly throughout his adult life. He gave me my first plane ride. It was not his favorite part of the lore and 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 love of aviation that he had, uh, and couldn't get him to talk about it until the 1990s when the whole country was up to its earlobes in 50th anniversary remembrances. Mm-hmm. Right. And he finally talked about it a little bit in the company of my father, uh, who did not fly during World War II. My father was uh, privileged with the opportunity to see North Africa, Sicily, Italy, and Normandy, uh, all from the front end of a Higgins boat. Uh Never was part of their favorite lore, but the generations that have come since kind of remind me of the generations that went into the Civil War uh, back 150 years ago now when uh, there was this glorious honor in manly combat and when in reality it was nothing but blood and horror uh, that had to be done eventually. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's, that's the downside of all this. Right. Human nature is that we will have people that will act on their worst instincts and the worst on behalf of mankind, and it takes others acting with equal force and vigor to stop that. And it's involved people we love and things that we love. Right, right. I grew up loving to hunt and to shoot rifles and and pistols and shotguns uh, and feel fortunate that I never had to have another human being in my sights. Uh, But that's how we tend to use our best tools, airplanes included. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, make no mistake, we we thank those who uh, served and who made sacrifices um, in these ways, and uh, it's fitting that we remember them and that we memorialize them. Um, but I'm fa- I love warbirds because they're awesome airplanes, not because they were warriors. Right. Thank you. Um, thank you. Um, Moving on, uh, in a much different yeah. tone here. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, we apologize for this serious tone. Uh, we'll be right back with these commercial messages. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Hey, so the FAA, look at this. This is awesome. FAA to ban this, plane crashes. This hey, will solve everything. I know. Why, did, why, why didn't we think of I that? I know. Dateline Washington and what officials are calling a much-needed policy shift. The Federal Aviation Administration announced this weekend that it would ban all plane crashes. Quote, after a careful... Okay. This is the onion. It's a joke, but it's a great joke. It's very, as as so with so many things, the onion does. It's very love well done. The onion, love love the onion on live TV. I yeah. Mean, uh, um, after careful review of flight data from the past twenty five years, we've determined that customers, uh, pilots, and the airlines themselves would benefit significantly from a strictly enforced no plane crash policy. The FAA administrator Randy Babbitt said recently. Um, this is great. It's well, just well, a, it's well, a, kind of a long I, paragraph. Um, my 
favorite is my favorite line is the last sentence in the whole thing. Um, it's you know after talking about why it's a good idea to ban plane crashes, the last sentence is according to industry sources, most commercial airlines are planning to fit in as many crashes as possible between now and January first when the ban officially goes into effect. So it's like, well, just why didn't we think of this? Just make well, them against. I, I think I think it was George Carlin who who once said something to the effect of. You know the 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 CVR and the FDR, the the recorders that su- supposedly survived the crashes and everything like that. Why don't they just make the whole plane out of that I stuff? No, exactly, exactly. Yeah, it says uh, it says that uh, pilots involved in fiery plane wrecks would could face steep fines or even suspension. So <laughs> it just flashes me back to a really funny moment, and she did give us a few. When Marion Blakey was still administrator of the Federal Aviation yeah, Administration, yeah, it was at uh, she was a keynote speaker at a uh, AOPA expo uh, back in the Phil Boyer days uh, when they still called it expo, and she stood before the crowd uh, not long not not long enough after nine one one for us to still be happy with the TSA and said that the Federal Aviation Administration had figured out that one of the easiest and most effective ways to satisfy the security requirements of the TSA was to simply ban passengers. I know. That would solve all the problems. It really would. It really would. If they all just flew their own airplanes... It would be so much simpler. Uh, really, really. Hey, we're running. Uh, we're reaching the end of our allotted times here. We're almost. We've actually made, almost made it through this big list here. Let's see if we can get these last two done real quickly here. Um, a, a cool piece of video uh, came out this, uh, or of the uh, uh, airliner doing a gear up landing in where is it? Poland, I guess, right? But uh, yeah, it's a lot airliner. Uh, pretty impressive. Uh, um, how, how these folks, you know, I mean, well, so I guess they were having problems with getting the gear extended, and uh, you know, after no, trying- they weren't having any problems getting extended. It wouldn't extend. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, and no so- problem. <laughs> no now, problem. Patrick Smith, uh, Patrick Smith on Salon dot com uh, discussed this earlier in the week, and I don't know where he got his information, but apparently, uh, the aircraft suffered some kind of a hydraulic issue shortly after yeah. takeoff. And uh, one of the consequences, of course, of that hydraulic issue was that they couldn't get the gear down when they got to Warsaw. Uh, Okay. Um, At the same time, however, there are you know there were some other system failures, including maybe flaps and slats and and things of this sort um, that are associated with the hydraulic system. So, what actually happened, I don't know. And again, I don't know where Smith got all his data. Uh, Punchline is that there's a lot more going on here than than. just the gear not being able to come down and complications arise yeah. when you know you you're down to one hydraulic system or or something like that so um according to smith they probably had to to land this thing uh at a higher airspeed and without the some of the uh, drag producing uh devices and of course you know uh, likelihood of a go around i don't know uh that's another part of the equation right. but uh, um the guy's got a great job. I mean, it was smooth. It, yeah. was, it was it was picture perfect. It was textbook. Uh, and, you know, hello, come in. These guys deserve just as much credit and, and uh, approbation as as did Scully and Skiles on The Miracle in the Hudson. Um, 
they, they, they did their jobs and they did them well and everybody's around to talk about yeah. it some more. Yeah, so. it was nice. It was nice. We'll obviously put a link to the uh, video in the uh, show notes. Yeah, but, uh, it, it, that's a 767 too. Man. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's a lot of airplane. Yeah. The, fortunately, there was no prop strike. Yeah, that's well, true. That's but true. it was interesting to watch the watch the engines collapse off their pylons as the thing settled into the ground. It's, yeah. it, it was very yeah. gentle. I mean, Jeb is right. They they did a really great job of keeping this under control and just very gently setting this thing down. Uh, sadly, the video was interrupted by a tree getting in the way um, as they were panning along with the aircraft. So we didn't get did to see it. Did the engines come off, the wings? I don't think they came off. I think they collapsed in place. I mean, the, the pylons are, are, I think, designed to do that. Um the, there was another video this week of, uh, believe it or not, an Iranian 727 that landed with its nose gear retracted, with, but its main wheels extended. And that was another fairly, uh, I couldn't see the whole video for, for any number of reasons. I forget you know, wh- wh- what they were. I, I don't know. It might have been some more trees or something like that. Um, but uh, again, Pilots did a great job. They, you know, textbook landed the thing on the mains, held it off as long as it could. When it was obvious that they couldn't hold it off anymore, they gently lowered the nose to the runway and slid to a stop. Yeah, you know, they, they, people get their they shut off the masters. Last 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 person out buys the first round. People yeah. pe- pe- people get their stabilizers all in in a pitch flutter over gear up landings, but you know, done properly, they're no different than a normal landing. You just get closer to the ground before you touch down. Except you can't taxi to the gate. Yeah, that's the problem. That's the thing. How do you know when you've landed gear up when it and takes full power to taxi? And you're not likely to use that airplane again real soon now. No. It's like the old Air Force you know, thing. There's one of these jokes that you periodically see floating around. Says, um, if, if further flights in this airplane appear likely, then obey the limitations. If further flights in this airplane appear unlikely, then there are no limitations. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Shout-outs. What do we got here? De- Jeb, you've got one here. I do? Yeah. Something about Ohio bush pilots? Oh, yeah. White boy rap. You liked this. Huh? This tickled yeah. you. Yeah. Huh? Okay. Um, I, I thought it was kind of cute. Uh, it was well done, the, the, the appropriate attitude and, and whatnot. But this is, a, this is a, um, a video put out by somebody, something, somebody, some group called the Ohio Bush Plains, and which, of course, is something of an oxymoron. But um, there's this couple of guys, they're, they're somehow connected with Matco Manufacturing, and they're flying, uh, I don't know, Super Cubs, Huskies, uh, um, uh, Replica Cubs, something like that. And uh, it's, it's the way it's cut, the way it, the, the, um, the way it was shot, it was, it's just kind of interesting. It's, it's, uh, you got, but you've got to have fat tires. That's the punchline. You've got to have fat tires have fat on these tires. They have fat tires, that's right. And you, and you can spell fat, P-H-A-T. So it, it, you know, it, it was it, it was it was something different from a lot of the stuff that crosses my desk. Let's put it that way. Oh, for real, David. What do you got there? Uh, well, first up, I want to do a little, you know, a shout out and tip of the wing to Chandra Johnson of the Taos. Uh, uh, I, I think it's the Taos News. Yeah, the Taos News in New Mexico. Uh, they published a, uh, a a blog report of hers on uh, on Monday uh, about flying hot air balloons over Taos. 
And if this wasn't something, if this wasn't a piece of journalism that would drag you by the nose out to want to fly a hot air balloon, one doesn't exist for you. So it was really lovely done, nice work. Uh, it did it, it did for me what I think good journalism should do, and that's put you in the place and give you as many as the sights, sounds, and smells as, as, as it can give you. And she succeeded. Uh, and then a quickie to our friends at the U.S. Powered Paragliding Association, of which that Russian pilot probably was not a member. But <laughs> Yeah, right. He could have been. I mean, he should have been, but... Probably not part of his uh, his well, terrain, the, his turf. The eagle could have been too. Yeah. The eagle could have been. By the time yeah, the video was over. Yeah, that's right. But, yeah. Uh, USPPA, U.S. Powered Paragliding Association. Okay, that's the paragliders like we saw in the eagle clip over the mountains. Except the guys have a little motor. They foot launch. They motor up. You've seen video of them from places like Sun and Fun and, and, and Oshkosh and little small flyings. They don't need a mountain to launch. They can get up. They can get high. They can thermal. They can cruise around on like a half a gallon an hour uh, and pack it all up and put it in the trunk of a hatchback. Well, USPPA is 10 years old this year. Uh, you know, m- Making a go of a, an association for a small, specialized sporting thing like that is not the easiest thing in the world. Uh, making it 10 years is worth a, a, a shout-out on uncontrolled airspace. Yeah. Very cool. Anything else? Nope. Okay. Nope. Fork, 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 fork. Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer, also an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, where can people find you on the Internet? Uh, avbuyer.com, uh, avionicsnews.com. That's a new one. Uh, avbuyer.net. It's, it's just kind of a crapshoot. Roll the dice, do a Google search. Uh, no telling where I'm apt to show up next. And Jeb Burnside is a freelance aviation writer and editor serving as the editor in chief of aviation safety magazine. Jeb, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, pretty much the same places as as day with that you know that avionicsnews uh, dot com and then there's aviationsafetymagazine dot uh, dot com, jeburnside dot com, uh, sometimes avweb dot com, uh, uh, and uh, who knows you know coming coming soon to an aviation publication near you. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can learn more about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. Big thanks to Jeff Ward for creating our show notes, uh, who, by the way, I'm going to see tomorrow morning. We're all uh, heading down to uh, Barnes in Westfield, Massachusetts, for uh, for oh, one, cool. of, one of our UCAP uh, brunches down there. What's the fun. What's the weather forecast for that? Uh, it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be. It's going to be normal, normal New England fall temperatures, all right, but uh, otherwise beautiful, severe, clear, and sunny is what the forecast is. So it's not a ski plane flying. No. Yeah, we we have the the annual Hidden River Spot Landing Contest tomorrow. Oh, really? Now, you're the reigning champion, right? Well, yeah, there was was actually two of us who won last year in in different weight classifications, but yeah. Um, See, there's a joke there. I'm not going. No, there's no no joke there, but I I, kind of sort of have to try to put in an appearance. I would think. I would think. Also, big thanks to Mike Morgan and Royce Earl and to the many other listeners who have created the UCAP disclaimer clips. We are also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the 
fan-controlled airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. And don't forget you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, view the forums, check out the wiki, the avi- wiki, airport. Wiki, 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 airport. I'm glad he list. finally did that I again. know. It's been a while, huh? Yeah, the Aviation yeah. Movies List, the new ratings, webpage of fame, and more. And also, please visit the website in order to uh, fill out the, uh, the UCAP Fall Listener Survey uh, at uncontrolledairspace.com slash survey. But all of that can be found at uh, uncontrolledairspace.com. David, you were going to say something? Don't try to catch blue ice. Other than that, go fly, because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. And don't you eat that yellow snow. (laughs) And watch out where the huskies go. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that.